All right, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Eli James here along with Dan from Georgia, and this is Genesis to Revelation. GTR is the uh, acronym. Uh, is it reminds me of GTO. <laughs> Big, bad car, muscle car in the 60s and 70s, right? So this is muscle, this is a Bible study with Mike. Okay, that's right. I, I was just reading. Uh, Swamp Fox put a, the American's Creed uh, up on the or into the chat room. It's very interesting. I like it. So, uh, but we've got a kind of a very interesting show today. We're going to do a lot more commentary and introduction to Chapter Thirty One of Genesis because there's been uh, there's a mistranslation, a mistranslation or a copious error in there somewhere. And we're going to discuss why. It has to do with the so-called gods that Rachel stole from Laban. This is, there's more to this than meets the eye, and it's a very, very serious situation. It is not just, she didn't steal little figurines <laughs> of Babylonian gods. That's not what she took. And technically, what she took was not theft, although Laban considered it theft. At least it wasn't theft under the circumstances because, as it turns out, Laban did not have any sons. And technically, his son-in-law would become the main heir being married to Rachel and Leah and all his, all his <laughs> other daughters, right? That uh, Jacob would become the main heir, the patriarch, of the family and the inheritance upon Laban's death would therefore go to Jacob. Okay? And so what Rachel stole was something way more significant than a figurine of some Babylonian god. We'll go into that. But uh, first, because we were... Go ahead. Go ahead, Dad. I I was just going to say, I don't think Laban is the most trustworthy person. No, he's not too bright either. (laughs) 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 All right. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. Look look how he tricked uh, Jacob. Yeah, he's a little bit like Esau, right? Pretty devious, actually cunning. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. He's a conniver. He was a conniver. Yeah. But uh, the the circumstances of his family structure, uh, because he lacked a son, uh, made uh, Jacob a potential heir of his entire estate. And Laban was trying to prevent that for, from happening. We'll get into that uh, very shortly. So we're going to have a very interesting show today. But now, one of the questions that came up in last show and actually previous show was, who are the Chaldeans? And yeah, it's a question very, very few Bible scholars ask. It's, it's something that has been kind of, uh, how should I put it, you know, uh, left in abeyance because, uh, I guess, lack of interest, right? So, but it's very important to understand who who these uh, Chaldeans were. And so, I couldn't find any modern research on the subject that was actually worth repeating here on the air. So, I, I remember to Josephus. And so, this is book one, uh, chapter one. I'm just going to read two short paragraphs, four and five, because I made the statement that it appears to me that the Chaldeans are all descendants of Shem, okay? 
And so consequently, they are, they are our kinspeople, our kinsmen, and that we should treat them as such. They were Adamites, they, and they were Shemites, and you know the various families that devolved from them uh, are our brethren, okay? And, but nevertheless, well, there was a lot of paganism being taught, and Haran uh, and Terah, uh, Abram's relatives weren't uh, weren't really uh, practicers of the true faith that uh, they should have been practicing. So here here's what Josephus has to say on the subject. Paragraph four: Shem, the third son of Noah, had five sons who inhabited the land that began at Euphrates and reached to the Indian Ocean. So that's huge territory, but we're ta- basically talking Mesopotamia the western edge of the Fertile Crescent. I'm sorry, the eastern edge of the Fertile Crescent. For Elam left behind him the Elamites, the ancestors of the Persians. Asher lived at the city of Nineveh and named his subjects Assyrians, who became the most fortunate nation beyond others. The big, powerful, and brutal, <laughs> as time went on, Arphaxad named the Arphaxadites, who are now called Chaldeans. Okay? So, Josephus tells us the descendants of Arphaxad are called Chaldeans. Aram had the Aramites, which the Greeks called Syrians, as Laud founded the Laudites. Uh, which are now called Lydians, of the four sons of Aram, Uz founded Trachonitis and Damascus. This country lies between Palestine and Celesyria. Ul founded Armenia and gather the Bactrians. So this is, this is really important information here. This gives a direct line of descent for all of these nations, most of which still exist by name. Okay? I don't think anybody's ever done a study about this because I had all kinds of trouble finding anything relevant. But this this is a really good synopsis from Josephus as these nations, and they were founded by the uh, Chaldeans uh, and or Shemites. Okay, so he says very straightforwardly, Arphaxad named the Arphaxadites who are now called Chaldeans. But to continue here because uh, this is very very good information so gather or gather founded the bactrians and mesa the messanians who have never heard of it is now called carax spasini sala was the son of arfaxad s a l a and his son was eber hebrews from whom they originally were called the judahites or, uh, or Israelites, Hebrews. Heber begat Yoktan and Peleg. He was called Peleg because he was born at the dispersion of the nations to their several countries. And for Peleg among the Hebrews signifies division. Now Yoktan, one of the sons of Heber, had these sons. Elmadad, Salaf, Asermoth, Jera, Adoram, Azel, Dekla, Ebal, Abimael, Sabias, Ophir, Euliat, and Jobab, who might be the Job of Scripture. These inhabited from Kofan, an Indian river, and in part of Aria, 
A-R-I-A, Arian, <laughs> adjoining to it. And this shall suffice concerning the sons of Shem. Okay, so the Chaldeans are the descendants of Arphaxad, according to Josephus. Interesting. Uh, I've never had it broken down this clearly before. Again, this is Josephus, chapter 1, book 1, paragraph 4. Now, paragraph 5 impinges on our today's subject matter, which we've been talking about. Uh, Jacob, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their wives, Sarah, Rebecca, and the four wives, especially Rachel, coming up. We're going to be talking very uh, detailed about Rachel today. So, another quick paragraph, paragraph 5. I will now treat of the Hebrews. The son of Peleg, whose father was Eber, was Ragau. The son of whose son was Serug, to whom was born Nahor. His son was Terah, who was the father of Abraham, who accordingly was the tenth from Noah, and was born in the 292nd year after the deluge. For Terah begat Abraham in his 70th year. Nahor begat Haran when he was 120 years old. Nahor was born to Serug at his 132nd year. Ragau had Serug at 130 years old, whom Arphaxad had for his son at the 135th year of his age. So we're still talking about the Chaldeans here. Arphaxad was the son of Shem, and born 12 years after the deluge. Now Abram had two brethren, Nahor and Haran. Of these, Haran left a son, Lot, as also Sarai and Milcah, his daughters, and died among the Chaldeans, that is, the, the people of Arphaxad, who, and this was so shortly after the, the deluge, that uh, you know, I think the term Chaldeans has been applied to all of the people who lived in Mesopotamia at this time, indiscriminately, okay? But Josephus is telling us that the Chaldeans are direct descendants of Arphaxad. They are Shemites, 100% Shemite. In a city of the Chaldeans called Ur, and his monument is shown to this day. These married their nieces. Nahor married Milcah, and Abram married Sarai. Now Terah, hating Chaldea on account of his mourning for Haran, they all removed to Haran of Mesopotamia, where Terah died and was buried. And when he had lived to be 205 years old, for the life of man was already by degrees diminished and became shorter than before, till the birth of Moses, after whom the term of, hum- uh, yeah, the term of human life was 120 years, God determining it to the length that Moses happened to live. Now Nahor had eight sons by Milcah, Uz and Buz, Kemuel, Feldus, Yadelf, and Bethuel. These were all the genuine sons of Nahor, for Teba and Geam and Takas and Maaka were born of Reuma, his concubine. But Bethuel had a daughter, Rebekah, and a son of Laban. So this gives us the genealogy of Rebekah, which, uh, as far as I can ter- determine, is not contained in the Bible. So, this is an excellent account 
of the breakdown of these families, you would need to have a uh, what do you call a flow chart, <laughs> a family flow chart to keep all these people straight. But they are in fact uh, Chaldeans. So uh, Abraham married a Chaldean woman named Sarai. Isaac married a Chaldean woman named Rebecca, etc. Okay, so the, the term Chaldean now has some more specificity than I ever you know understood before. Mm. Now. Dan is going to talk about the uh, so-called gods of Rachel, and I will put the, this article in the chat room for everybody. I'll see if I can copy this correctly. So it, you know, I'll, I'll do it both ways so people can get this, because this is another very, very important document that uh, you know, explains uh, questions contained in Scripture. So, Dan, over to you. Okay, uh, the title of this article is Another Look at Rachel's Theft of the Teraphim. In the long history of exegesis, Rachel's unexplained theft of Laban's teraphim gods on the eve of Jacob's secret departure from Laban, Genesis chapter 31, has received many and curious interpretations. Josephus supposed that Rachel wanted them so as to have recourse to them to obtain pardon in case Laban overtook them. Genesis Rabbah credits the matriarch with the noble desire to purge old Laban of his idolatry. <laughs> later, yeah. uh, later, Midrash suggests more plausibly that she stole them to prevent their revealing to Laban that Jacob's household had fled. For teraphim do speak, according to Zechariah chapter no, 10. So now, a teraphim. What's a teraphim? Well, if teraphim, uh, no, uh, the, the little wooden idols don't speak. But a document or a claim to property speaks at the appropriate time when the will is read. Okay? So I think that's what the teraphim here really means, and the translators just didn't understand us. Now, this guy is a... Um, a full, I don't know, it looks like he's a rabbi, Moshe Greenberg. And so he's quoting rabbis, but th this is a very good article. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't look like it contains a lot of Jewish mumbo-jumbo. It's a pretty much straightforward uh, reading of the account and the legal system that was uh, uh, obtaining in the days of Laban. Back to you. So these teraphim are obviously legal documents. That's right. They're legal documents. Okay. Okay. Frazier, uh, continuing, Frazier thought the theft was, was motivated by fear, lest the gods might resent and punish the injury done to their owner. Other modern scholars suggest that Rachel wished to enjoy the protection of her hearth gods away from home. Gunkel elaborates, it was the business of such teraphim to help the protege in the home and farm, to bless his family and flocks. Rachel believed that in stealing this image, she was thus carrying along the fortune of the house. And Laban would sooner have given up anything rather than his house fetish, of which he himself <laughs> must have inherited from his father. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's inherited. Now, there's the important word. Inheritance. Money. It's all yeah. about money. Yeah. Well, property. It? Yeah. Well, okay. property, money. Yep. Yeah. There you go. That's what this is about. Inheritance. Okay. Back to you. For comparison, Gunkel cites the story of the abduction of Micah's priest and teraphim by the, by the migrating Danites, thought to be sure they're, sure, they're the 
divinatory value of the teraphim appears to be uppermost in the minds of the abductors. Okay, so divinatory, no, no, their, their inheritance value is, is where the true value lies. Back to you. While this view is certainly plausible, it must be admitted that no material, biblical, or extra-biblical has yet been adduced in support of it closely paralleling the tale in Genesis. Something more commonplace than the Danite abduction, something more a matter of family custom seems to be involved in Rachel's act. Just as just such material, as is now well known, has been made available by the Nuzi tablets. The most important document for our discussion is GAD 51, published in 1926 and immediately seized upon as highly significant of the relations between Jacob and Laban. Okay, so that's Nuzi, N-U-Z-I, and GAD 51, G-A-D-D 51, a publication which uh, published in 1926, which explains the legal relationship between Jacob and Laban. Back to you. GAD 51 is an adoption document. The adopter states that at his death, the adoptee shall become his Iwuru, heir by irregular succession. Okay, so Jacob, right, so very important here. Jacob is is slated to be the heir of Laban. Okay, very important. This is not discussed in scripture. Back to you. Should a natural son be born to the adopter beforehand, that son and the adoptee shall inherit equally, but only the son shall receive the household gods. If there is no son, the gods would be taken by the adoptee. The reconstruction of the relations between Jacob and Laban and the motive for Rachel's theft that have been proposed on the basis of this tablet have now entered all up-to-date handbooks. H.H. Rowley summarized them as follows. It has been conjectured that Laban had no sons at the time of Jacob's marriage of Leah, but that he subsequently became the father of sons, who were therefore now superior in legal standing to Jacob. By carrying off the teraphim, however, Rachel preserved for Jacob the chief title to Laban's estate. Okay, that is extremely important. Now, nobody okay. knows whether Laban had any sons or not, but, you know, of his own loins. And so, but if he did, then uh, Jacob would still be a co-equal heir, Right. So now, based on that, why do you think Rachel stole the teraphim? So Jacob would be the sole inheritor. Well, uh, either sole, if there was no uh, natural son for Laban, or a co-equal inheritor. Okay? That's why well, she stole the teraphim. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any mention of, of Laban having any sons in Scripture. Is no, there? there isn't. Nor is there any record anywhere else. So that's up for grabs. So what Rachel did was to, you know, the, they actually belonged by right to Jacob. All right, because he was the only heir at the time. So it was not theft. She so was she had every right to take him. Absolutely. That's the point here. This is fantastic stuff. Please continue. Jay Bright writes more simply of Rachel's theft of Laban's gods tantamount to title to the inheritance. There you go, tantamount to title. Back to you. The persuasiveness of this interpretation rests not only on the skill with which it has been argued and the authority of its advocates, 
among whom are the cuneiformists S. Smith, E. A. Spicer, T. J. Meek, Laban's gods. To oh no, that's uh, no. Uh, 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 C. H. Gordon, right, and most recently A. Drathcorn. But on the coher on the coherence, it lends to the total picture of the Jacob Laban dealings. A key that opens so many doors can hardly be the wrong one. Yeah, I think these interpreters have got it right. And the, the yeah. King James translators, you know, it was just too complicated an issue for them to go into. Thanks for the link, well, Swamp Fox. Well, if you think about it, it makes a, a heck of a lot more sense that she would steal something like this than a few trinkets. You know, that's that doesn't make any sense. That, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's something more going on there. In fact, it has confused Bible scholars for generations. You know... Why should she? Why would she steal steal gods, quote unquote gods? And uh, you know, was she a pagan, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. No, this gives a whole different angle on the story. All right, back to you. All right. The main object of this paper is to call attention to a passage in Josephus, which to discussions of Rachel's theft. This neglected passage is important for the simple and unsophisticated explanation it suggests, and an altogether incidental remark. But while weighing the relative merits of Josephus and Nuzi as aids to understanding Rachel's mind, it appeared to me that the Nuzi material would bear a closer analysis. Have our cuneiform colleagues drawn the correct conclusion from the documents in question? I do not wish to be misunderstood. The strictures made in the following remarks are queries to the cuneiformist. It seems to me that there are some difficulties in their theory insofar as it touches upon Rachel's theft of the teraphim, which have not been faced. Without prejudice to the interpretation of the Jacob-Laban relationship as a whole, the effect of these difficulties seems to impair the usefulness of the newsy material for explaining Rachel's act. The crucial lines of Gad 51 read, When Nashwi, the adopter, dies... Wulu, the adoptee, shall become the Iwuru, irregular heir. If Nashwi should have a son of his own, he shall divide the estate equally with Wulu. But the son of Nashwi shall take the house, gods of Nashwi. And if Nashwi has no son of his own, then Wulu shall take the house, gods of Nashwi. Okay, right there. That's why... Rachel stole the quote-unquote gods to make sure that Jacob would be the heir. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, please continue. These lines are said to mean that the transfer of the father's household gods was a prerequisite in certain cases where property was to pass to a daughter's husband. Or again, that when property is to pass to other than normal heirs, the house gods, as the protectors and symbols of family holdings, are thus drawn in, as it were, to safeguard and to render legitimate not only the property, but also the person in relation to the property against possible future claims. This is not a precise statement of the import of our document, for even if Nashwi should have a natural son who gets the gods, Wulu remains an equal heir with him. No gods must be produced by Wulu to safeguard his right to share in the estate despite his being an irregular heir. Applying this to Jacob's situation, if Jacob were regarded as an Iwuru, he did not need to have Laban's gods to ensure his title to a share in Laban's estate, 
All he needed was Laban's statement that he was entitled to a share. Okay, now is what was Laban's word worth <laughs> at this point? <laughs> Not, in time? Much. <laughs> Not much, right? Okay, back to you. Having that, his title was secure. Supposedly. But what if, yeah. But what if he did not have that? Or if Laban wished to cut him off from a previously promised share? Would his possession of the house gods defeat Laban's purpose? To answer that, we must first clarify the place of house gods in inheritance. Okay. Let's go a little deeper into this because this is very interesting. Back to you. What is determined by bequeathal of the gods is not title to an inheritance share, but rather who is to carry on as paterfamilias. That determination is separate from the matter of dividing up shares in the estate. Who becomes in, the family patriarch? That's what's at stake here. Wow. Back to you. That determination is separate from the matter of dividing up shares in the estate, in this document, as well as in others. One document, cited by Draftcorn, appears to equalize the several shares, then goes on to stipulate that the eldest son is to get the gods. In other words, while all heirs, regardless of who gets the gods, only the eldest is designated paterfamilias. Okay, so he's the chief son, whether uh, by natural birth or by marriage of a daughter. Okay? Jacob is. Yeah, Yeah, Jacob would be the patriarch. Back to you. C.F. Gordon, the possession of these gods... Oh, no, that's a footnote. That's a, just a uh, continue. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. right. Next page. There's uh, only two lines on the next page. Hence Rachel's desire to possess the gods of Laban, if it meant anything in this connection, could mean only that she wished Jacob to be recognized as paterfamilias after Laban's death, assuming, of course, that such a claim could be urged on the strength of possessing the gods. If she really meant only to ensure the to ensure an inheritance share for Jacob, she went too far. Much too. A person in Jacob's circumstances have made a credible claim to be paterfamilias of Laban's family on the ground of possessing his house gods. If he could, the Nusian interpretation of Rachel's act is colorable. If not, the interpretation has to assume that Rachel acted irrationally or futilely. Okay, so, so Rachel knew what she was doing, <laughs> right? She knew what she was doing. Mm-hmm. All right, a couple more paragraphs here, because okay. yeah. we're getting Nusian... we're getting the idea of how important these so-called gods were to this uh, whole scenario. Back to you. Since no newsy text speaks to the point directly, we are reduced to speculation to answer our question. What then does reasonable interference suggest? Oh, would inference, have had... inference. Sorry, I'm... reasonable inference suggests would have been the effect of Rachel's act relative to the end she is supposed to have had in view. Taking the circumstances of Gad 51 as a model, Laban will have drawn up his will disposing of his property and appointing his successor as paterfamilias prior to the theft. Some cuneiformists have assumed that it was just such a will, whereby Jacob, formerly chief heir, ought to defeat by her act. But if Laban had already designated a son of his as paterfamilias, anyone else who came forward with the gods must surely have ipso facto stood condemned as a thief. We must bear in mind that it was not the gods that made the paterfamilias, but the father's act of bequeathing them. And where 
bequeathal could be shown to be another than the possessor of the gods, such possession was no more than self-condemnation. Okay, so here's Rachel's situation. Apparently, Laban had not yet had a son of his own. Okay, and I'm I'm assuming that these Dachel wants to protect Jacob's inheritance, especially his right to be family patriarch. That's what she was doing. That's what this is all about. Okay, and so uh, not understanding this, Rachel was a pagan. And she stole little wooden statuettes because she's a pagan, right? So let's dispense with that theory. And let's go back to Scripture. And we're going to pick it up in Genesis 31, verse 1. Thank you. Okay. Let's continue. All right, Genesis chapter 31. And he heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's. And of that, which was our father's, has he gotten all his all this glory. And Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. And, yet, and Yahweh said unto Jacob, Return to the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. And Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock, and said unto them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not toward me as before. But the God of my father has been with me. And ye know that with all my power I have served your father. And your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God suffered him not to hurt me. Okay, so he's done all these tricks to Jacob. But what has he done with the will? Has he amended the will as well where Jacob should be paterfamilias? Or a family patriarch? Uh, has he changed that well? He probably well? has. Yeah, he probably did. Uh, he, uh, we have to assume, however, that he had not yet had any sons of his own. But mm-hmm. if he did, then he probably would plan to get Jacob out of the will altogether. Okay? Mm-hmm. That, that, because Laban is a deceiver, and we have to understand it. Okay? All the cattle bear speckled. And if he said thus, the ring straight shall be thy hire, then bear all the cattle ring straight. Thus God has taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. And it came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived that I lifted up mine eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring straight, speckled, and and gristled. And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob. And I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes, and see, all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowedest a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee out from this land, and return, return unto the land of thy kindred. And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Oh, now, big question there. Really big question. Oh, okay. Are we not counted of him strangers? For he has sold us. And has quite devoured also our money. Uh oh. Okay. So, so, 
the daughters now are assuming that Laban plans to cut them out of the will. That's what's going on here, folks. Yeah. All right. Okay. For all the riches with God, with God, all the riches which God has taken from our father, that is ours and our children's. Now then, whatsoever God has said unto thee, do. Then Jacob rose up and set his sons and his wives upon camels. And he carried away all his cattle and all his goods which he had gotten, the cattle of his getting, which he had gotten in Pandanaram, for to go to Isaac his father in the land of Canaan. And Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images that ah, were her father's. Okay, what's the word for images here? Teraphim. 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 Images. Now, you can't assume that an image is a little wooden statuette. It could be a document, mm -hmm. a copy of a document, or the original, right? Okay, that's what's going on here, folks. This is wonderful stuff. We finally understand what Genesis chapter 31 is about. Back to you. Mm -hmm. Verse 20, And Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian, in that he told him not that he fled. So he fled with all that he had, and he rose up and passed over the river and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled. And he took his brethren with him and pursued after him seven days' journey, and they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. And God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said unto him, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob either good or bad. Then Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mount, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mount of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What hast thou done, that thou hast stolen away unawares to me, and carried away my daughters as captives taken with the sword? Ooh. Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly, and steal away from me? And did not tell me that I might have sent thee away with mirth and with songs, with tabret and with harp. And hast not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters? Thou hast now done foolishly in so doing. And it is in the power of my hand to do you hurt. But the God of your father spake unto me yesternight, saying, Take thou heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. And now... Though thou wouldest needs be gone, because thou soared longest after thy father's house, yet wherefore hast thou stolen my gods? Okay, now there it's Elohim. Okay. So, the only thing I can see here is perhaps the, the teraphim, the document, was rolled up and stuffed inside a, a, a wooden figurine. That's, that's mm -hmm. my guess. I, I have no better explanation. Back to you. That makes, that makes perfect sense. Okay. Uh, verse 31, And Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Peradventure thou wouldest take by force thy daughters from me. With whomsoever thou findest thy gods, let him not live. Ooh. Our... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they better not find those gods. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Before our brethren discern thou what is thine with me, and take it to thee. For Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. Right. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, and into Leah's tent, and into the two maid servants' tents. But he found them not. Then he went out of Leah's tent, and entered into Rachel's tent. Uh-oh. 
We know who's got it. <laughs> Rachel's got it. Will they be discovered? Attention mounts, folks. Drum roll, please. <laughs> now, Rachel had taken the images and put them in the camel's furniture and sat upon them. Mm. And Laban searched all the tent, but found them not. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord that I cannot rise up before thee, for the custom of women is upon me. And he searched, but found not the images. So she must have and, been pregnant. <laughs> okay. And, and Jacob was wroth and chode with Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jacob doesn't know anything about it. Whereas thou hast searched all my stuff, what hast thou found of all thy household stuff? Set it here before my brethren and thy brethren, that they may judge betwixt us both. This twenty years have I been with thee. Thy ewes and thy she-goats have not cast their young, and thy rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That which was torn of beast I brought not unto thee. I bear the loss of it. Of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus, was, thus I was, in the day the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from mine eyes. Thus have I been twenty years in thy house. I served thee fourteen years for thy two daughters, and six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages ten times. Yeah, so I've done right by you, but you haven't been doing right by me. Okay, that's what Jacob is saying. Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely thou hadst sent me away now empty. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands, and rebuked thee yesternight. Mm. And Laban answered and said unto Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and these cattle are my cattle, and all that thou seest is mine. And what can I do this day unto these, my daughters, or unto their children which they have borne? So he's still claiming them as his own, even yeah. though he knows they belong to Jacob. Verse 44, Now therefore come thou, let us make a covenant, I and thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. And Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar. And Jacob said unto his brethren, Gather stones, and they took stones and made a heap. And they did eat there upon the heap. And Laban called it Jigershadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between me and thee this day. Therefore was the name of it called Galid. And Mizpah, for he said, Yahweh, watch between me and thee when we are absent one from another. If thou shalt afflict my daughters, or if thou shalt take other wives beside my daughters, no man is with us. See, God is witness betwixt me and thee. And Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, and behold this pillar, which I have cast between me and thee. This heap be witness, and this pillar be witness, that I will not pass over this heap to thee, and that thou shalt not pass over this heap and this pillar unto me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. And Jacob swear by the fear of his father Isaac. So, in other words, this heap created a border uh, 
you know, between Laban and Jacob that they should not cross unless uh, there was only good business that needed to be done, okay? So this is, this is legal stuff here. Interesting. All right. Verse 54. Uh, then Jacob offered sacrifice upon the mount and called his brethren to eat bread. And they did eat bread and tarried all night in the mount. And in the early morning, Laban rose up and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned unto his place. Okay, so Laban, understanding that the teraphim, uh, even if they are possessed by somebody else and used in the you know, declaration of the will, when the will is to be read, he could, uh, he could still, if he has a son, if he has a, a son of his own, he would be the, the prime patriarch if he has a son of his own. And Jacob would be relegated to a, a, an equal heir. Okay? So, but he would still have to produce the teraphim to prove that. Okay? So, Laban's well off in any case. So maybe that's why you know, he did scrupulously search the tents and, and uh, everything he could think of, except... Uh, for uh, you have to excuse the expression here, folks. Rachel's ass, right? Her donkey or whatever <laughs> she was riding on. Whether I don't know if it was a camel or not, but yeah, this is that's why he came to search for that because that was the inheritance document which gives Jacob all these rights of inheritance. Very important stuff. Okay. So, wow, what a chapter. Very important to understand what's going on in this chapter. All right, so let's see, we have about 15 minutes left. So let's go into chapter 32, Dan. Chapter 32, and Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host. And he called, and he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall you speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. And I have oxen and asses, flocks and manservants and women servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that, I'm, that I may find grace in thy sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him, and the flocks and herds and the camels into two bands, and said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, Yahweh, which saidest unto me, return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, mm. for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children." And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good, and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. 
And he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother, 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 kine and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses and 10 foals. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said unto his servants, Pass over before me and put a space between drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meets thee, and asks thee, saying, Whose art thou, and whither goest thou, and whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent, to, sent unto my lord Esau, and behold, also he is behind us. And so commanded he the second and the third and all that followed the droves, saying, On this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when you find him. And say ye moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face, peradventure he will accept of me. So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons and passed over the Ford Jabbok. Mm -hmm. Okay, so just uh, the word drove, uh, it's a synonym for flock. Okay, we're talking about flocks of animals here that were being driven, you know, by Jacob and I guess donated to Esau for goodwill. Okay, back to you. Verse 23, and he took them and sent them over the brook and sent them and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him, and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou doest ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. Okay, so he must have pulled the muscle. It's probably mm-hmm. what's going on here. Might have dislocated his hip as well. Okay. I know what that feels like. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not fun, but uh, you know, that, that can be healed. So this wrestling, there's um, because it's because he says, I have seen God face to face, but he was wrestling not with Yahweh. He was wrestling with an angel, okay? Mm-hmm. It says, and there wrestled a man, verse 24, with him until the breaking of the day. So who was this man? It was obviously an angel of Yahweh, okay? 
So when he says, I saw God face to face, he's talking about uh, a lesser God. He's not talking about Yahweh. He's talking about a God, namely this angel. Okay, it's the angel whose face he saw. No, he didn't see the face of Yahweh here. Okay, so again, uh, th- this word Elohim is very important to understand that it has a multitude of meanings. It does not simply mean the one God. It does not mean that. It means uh, you know div- divinity, you know some some sort of divine being, and it has even lesser meanings such as magistrate or judge. Okay, it can have lesser meanings like that. So this word Elohim is far more uh, you know, uh, complicated than uh, the theologians have made. So here, let me just see verse 30 here. For I have seen God, that is Elohim, face to face, and my life is preserved. So here are the several definitions. The number one definite, well, actually it says gods in the ordinary sense, okay, because it is a plural word, gods in the ordinary sense, but specifically rats. It 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 disappeared. <laughs> oh, sorry, folks. I uh, let's see. Is there another case? I don't know what happened here. The word God, the, the definition for God. Okay, here I got it back. Okay. But specifically used in the plural thus, especially with the article of the supreme God. So if there is the article, so there is no article here. So it's not the God. It's not the God of all gods, namely Yahweh. But uh, a, a God, occasionally applied by way of deference to magistrates, and sometimes as a superlative, angels. Uh, Exceeding God, very great, judges, mighty, and El Shaddai is the Almighty, God Almighty, okay? So you see God Almighty, uh, you could also put in El Shaddai for that expression. So whenever you see the word Elohim, it does not necessarily mean the God of all gods. That's Yahweh Elohim, okay? That expression, Yahweh Elohim, is the God above all other gods, and so, uh, unless you see Yahweh Elohim, you're not talking about, you know, the supreme God, okay? I also want to clarify that because there's a lot of confusion there. I don't think the translators should have translated the word Elohim as God. That's a, uh, that's a misrepresentation. They should have, you know, it says, I don't know what they should have translated it as, but uh, it's not the supreme being. Okay, it's not always a supreme being. That is only when you see Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh is the God above all gods, not Elohim. Okay, just to clarify that. All right, so well, how much time do we have? Seven minutes? Seven 33. minutes, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, chapter 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah, and unto Rachel, and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are those with thee? 
And he said, The children which God has graciously given thy servant. Then the handmaidens came near, they and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves. And after Joseph near and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. And he said, What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, These are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother, keep that thou hast unto thyself. And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God. And <laughs> okay. But he's, he's almost, I mean, there's tremendous deference in Jacob's language here, almost to the point of, uh, you know. Kissing up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Back to you. For therefore I have seen thy face, as thou hast seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And he urged him, and he took it. And he said, Let us take our journey, and let us go, and I will go before thee. And he said unto him, My Lord knoweth that the children are tender, and the flocks and herds with young are with me. And if men should drove or drive them one day, all the flock will die. Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant, and I will lead on softly, according as the cattle that goes before me, and the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord unto Seir. And Esau said, Let me now leave with thee some of the folk that are with me. And he said, What needeth it? Let me find grace in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way unto Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth, and built him a house, and made booths for his cattle. Therefore the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Pandanaram and pitched his tent before the city. And he, brought, and he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. And he erected there an altar and, call, and called it El, El Elohi Israel. Okay, very good. All right, so... I didn't realize this before that Esau actually offered Jacob uh, folk, people, am, A-M, meaning meaning people. So apparently as servants, uh, Esau offered in exchange for the cattle, uh, Edomite servants. You know, of course, Jacob would have to refuse that, right? No, mm -hmm. sorry, no I don't need that. Thank you anyway. <laughs> All right. So... So these three chapters that we just dealt with today ha tell a very complicated story about inheritance and uh, legal legalities of the patriarchy, okay? Which uh, it, in normal Christianity and Bible scholarship, uh, you know, I, I've only come across a, a, a smattering of this type of commentary. But uh, the commentaries we quoted from Josephus and from this uh, Rabbi Greenberg, by the way, uh, as far as writings by Jews goes, that document is one of the most straightforward and honest, uh, you know, 
writings I've ever read by a Jew. It's really a good essay. Uh, he doesn't try to interject any uh, Masoretic junk, although he does quote a couple of rabbis here and there, but just to give their opinions. And uh, he, he relies primarily on uh, non-Jewish scholars who've done this work called what was it, Gad, was it, I forget now, I'd have to go back to the document, Gad 51, was it? That's it. Gad 51. And uh, and Josephus's commentary on it as well, and Brother Abair just put in. Now this is kind of incredible, uh, recording the Targum of Jonathan, saying, uh, "And Rachel stole the images of her father, for they had murdered a man who was a firstborn son, and having cut off his head, they embalmed it with salt and spices. That's got to be made up, <laughs> right? So, the Targums not, are not entirely reliable." But that's very interesting as well. All right, folks, thanks for listening. We've had uh, Tara Pimey, guys, that's right. We've had an incredible uh, lesson today. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition. Thank you, Dan. Take care, Great everybody. Show. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Take care, Goodbye. everybody. Bye-bye.